So, for those of us who do not understand this word infographic, yep. does anyone else not understand that word infographic? Oh, just me. Fine. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure there must be some people who don't understand. Who doesn't know what an infographic is? There must be some people. Thank you for the honesty there. That's amazing. So, Karen, just in the, in the most basic form for the most basic year, what is an infographic, Karen? An infographic is, in its basic form, it would be a pie chart or a bar chart, something that visualizes information and data or a story, so it's visual storytelling. The very basic, we've got an infographic in the room, which is if we removed the words fire exit from that sign above the door, there's a picture of a person running in an arrow and it's on green. And globally, people would recognize that as a fire exit. Equally, the signs for the toilets, for um, the, the tube map, in London, that is visualizing detailed information, but in its visual form, it helps people approach the information to um, be able to digest it. And because there's a visual attached to it, their minds are able to retain it better. Was that short enough for us? That was perfect, Karen. Did you, do you understand now? That was a good one. So, Karen, I'm just going to turn your eyes to the screens, everybody, on the, on the back screens here. We have some of the examples of what this comes out. So, Karen, explain that process to me briefly and as simply as you can of how you then get the Bible's information to look like this. Oh, well, Roger. <laughs> Very hard. <laughs> Much harder than we thought. We thought it might take two years or one. It's ended up being five. That is, has been the biggest challenge for me, especially as a creative. And I'm a designer and illustrator and a visual learner and a wee bit dyslexic. Like for me to read things takes a long time for me to digest words. What it looked like for, for me to have to produce <laughs> uh, the Bible, we, they're, they're most of the data that is behind the scenes to, to each of these pages, every page, 99% of the pages, started with Excel spreadsheet. Before that, so they had to end up on an Excel spreadsheet. The process looked like me sitting down with these incredible theologians, incredible minds, um, doctors and professors. <laughs> and I had to say to some of them, guys, tell me about this subject. What? T just talk to me. So they were giving me their knowledge um, and, the, and the information that I needed. And I had to then think, okay, how the chuff do we turn that information just from them talking to me into data? And what format does that need to be in Excel so that it can be analyzed correctly? And analyzed means that we look at all the totals. So I look at what are the patterns, what are the percentages, what, are, what is that information telling us? But I have to do that correctly in Excel for it then to be wireframed and designed. Or 
So, so some of the subjects that you see will be subjects that I sat down with um, theological advisors. I had a wee team of theological advisors who would say, Karen, because I said, right, we're going to tell the meta-narrative of the Bible. I want to tell God's big picture from the start to the end, from Genesis to Revelation. We need to show that. That's my heart. We need to tell essentially the gospel message. Guys, what subjects do we need to include in this? Um, in the infographic Bible to be able to drive that meta-narrative forward. So I took advice on those. And then, of course, being a creative, I had all of these other ideas like, can we do this? What about, could we show this? Could, you, could we get data on this idea? And, and some of them would be me approaching people with my own idea and a very clear idea of what I wanted the data to do and be and, and the visual to be. Sometimes it looked like um, a new, think a job, bro, wellness and wholebeing. I knew that I wanted there to be an infographic on wellbeing and wholeness. But we did not have a clue what the chuff that data would, how the heck, like, what would that data look like? And it looked like us wrestling, like, me and the data contributor and Roder when my mind was packing up, <laughs> wrestling with how, what would that data be? We don't even know where to start. So we had to, in other infographic books that HarperCollins have produced in their range, they have gathered data from the internet or data that already exists. For the Bible, there was no data already at that time because... Five years ago, there are now a few infographic Bibles. At that time, there was no infographic Bible out there. There was no data online that I could just gather and analyze. We had to form this data. And that for, was the hardest strain on my mind and on my poor data contributors' minds to birth this data. It was a majority of my time was spent on... Um, birthing this data, grappling with this data, and then, is this appropriate now to tell what happens then to that data? That's okay. St I mean, yeah. stop me. No, go for it, Kaz. Keep going. Go, Kaz, Laura. So once we have decided, right, this is what the data needs to look like on this subject, me and the um, amazing biblical scholar mind have, have agreed, okay, I've, I've said I want the data to look like this. I'll set you a template. So I created the templates for the data contributors and the professors because they have the knowledge, but they're not data guys. Only one of my data contributors knew how to produce data. The rest we had to train and, and, and learn together. So I produced them a template, and I would say, right, go away and fill that template out for me in Excel. Then that would come back to me, and I would have to check Every, like, remember, I'm a bit dyslexic, right? So every single cell in the data sheet, so there would be multiple rows. Some of them had thousands, eh, of rows of data and several columns of data. And I, ha I as author, had to look at that data and decide, am I happy that that data is correct? Can that data, is that data saying, giving the message that I want it to say? Like, uh, have they caught the voice, my voice, that I wanted to show? Does it add up to 100%? And then, one of the biggest challenges and, and 
one of the reasons that I did this project was that I wanted to, it to be accessible to anyone on the street who have, have not been grown up going to Sunday school, didn't know these stories, and, and in the street language of today, exactly like they did in the early church. So Paul, when the, the, the church was first birthed, there was um, an incredible biblical scholar called Paul, and he was at the best university, like the best Bible college of the time, prestigious, incredible guy. But he chose to not write in religious language or scholarly language. He chose purposefully to write most of the New Testament that we now consider old-fashioned. That was in the street language of today. And, and so I, my heart was to do the same thing, was to strip away. So even when the data is placed in there, I had to say, guys, is there another way that we can, is there another word that we can use here? These incredible minds. I had to go and say, I love your data, but I don't love this word. Please, can we change this word? Oh, and they would say, no, Karen, that's too far off piece. And I would say, okay, what about this word? Maybe. Oh, this word? <laughs> Maybe. And right at the start, um, when I took it on, HarperCollins, I said to HarperCollins, my heart is that Chloe, people like Chloe and Alex, who was my intern illustrator, would pick this up and fully understand every word that's gone into it. So we're going to strip away the archaic and the religious language. And we used to call that process... Let's give it the Chloe and Alex test. <laughs> and here's our Chloe. <laughs> um, so we had the Chloe test on the data. That went back and forth to me several times. The record, I think, was 27. Is that right, Mar? 27 times, back and forward between me and the data contributor, grappling with this data until we're both happy with it. And then the data had to go to Collins to the editorial team, and they had to check that A, that they were happy to, to publish this data, that I wasn't going too far off piece <laughs> theologically, that the data was correct mathematically, that um, where we had struggled with pithy, it went through copy editing. And if HarperCollins had questions, they would direct them back to me. So I was then answering questions from HarperCollins and, and wrestling, refining that data further with HarperCollins at the same time as maybe birthing some new data sets <laughs> at the same time as designing. Once that was approved by HarperCollins, and again, that could have gone back and forwards with me and HarperCollins several times until I was happy and they were happy, the data was now ready to be analyzed, and it went into the stage of me analyzing that data. Now I had to get training because I'm a designer and an illustrator, and if jobs used to come to me. So just maybe someone wanted me to design a flyer and they happened to put the words in Excel. I used to say, I am sorry. <laughs> You're going to have to take that back. I do not do Excel. Put it into Word. I'm not going to get me text from Excel. I can't look at Excel being a creative. So I not only had to learn to approach Excel and think, mm, all right, it's all right. Then I had to learn how to analyze and use it correctly to produce data and analyze this data. In the middle, I was saying, well, maybe it's all right, Dave. It might be all right. And then by the end, oh, I love Excel. Like, I love Excel. It's amazing. 
it had to be analysed correctly in a correct way to make sure that I wasn't giving an, a biased opinion that Excel had analysed these counts and these totals correctly. It wasn't just us um, manufacturing this to want to give a message that was false. It had to be done correctly. And that was an analysing stage. And then I had to wireframe it. So when I wireframed it, I might have a design in my head to think, okay, I know what I'm going to do with this data. I know how I want it to look visually. But when it come to putting it on the page, oh, pigs, it doesn't fit, right? We'll have to go back to the drawing board because <laughs> it's not actually going to be legible on the page if we've got everything had to be mathematically correct. So to scale, it had to be calculated. And that was the wireframing piece that all of these things that you see here, those bubbles, were our, a bubble chart in Excel. So I couldn't, if it didn't fit on the page, I couldn't just think, oh, we'll just shrink that one <laughs> or this one. Or if I shrink the whole thing, the smallest one is no longer going to be visible in print. So that happened a lot, a lot, a lot. So I had to rework designs. It wasn't just a straightforward making something look pretty on the page, which I was used to. It was producing that architecturally or mathematically correct to represent the data, to visualize the data. That was the creative last bit would be illustrating around that, making it look pretty. That was the minimum of my time of the whole project was spent in my comfort zone. Most of the time was outside it. Just I mean, that's just a, a quick... I think we'll just have a quick round details. of applause there <laughs> for that process. Um, guys, I wonder if on the screen, is it possible for us to have a static of Pentecost? Is that, is that possible to go back to Pentecost? Give him a minute. Give him a minute. I just want um, for us to actually see that in action and to see what that came out as an end result on the page. And for Karen just next to one. explain back, back. No, next one. Oh, back yeah, next. a couple. No, it's not. Yay! Pentecost. Is Boo still in the house? Are the hogs still in the house or not? No, they've gone. Okay. Um, yes. So you want me to talk through J this If one? you could just explain that, Karen, that would be amazing. Okay, go back to that first one, my technical genius, amazing whiz kid with the technical... Yes, okay. So this is a good example of visual storytelling. So the, the infographic Bible contains both visualizing data, like numerical, quantitative, or qualitative data. And it also contains visual storytelling, like the fire exit in a global visual language, right? So this is visual storytelling, but it's also like a timeline, so it's a sequential piece of data and information that runs step by step in order of what happened. So we have um, the little people. Hey, I love these little people. Well, I get excited. I haven't, I've hardly looked at this book for ages. Um, <laughs> when I look at it again. So, so guys, what I wanted to show here in Pentecost was this is the birth of the church, right? This is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. And this is the whole reason. This, this only happened because of Jesus, the cross. Exciting moment. What that looked like was 12 guys, 11 plus a new disciple, 
because Judas um, was no longer there. <laughs> so we've got a new disciple added in. There's 12 guys scared in their house in an upper room. Jesus, who they thought was going to conquer the whole world um, by military force, has, has gone on the cross, has died. They're, they are um, in hiding, essentially, in this upper room, waiting. Jesus said, you've got to wait as well. So they're in there in this upper room. It looked like 12 fishermen, ordinary guys, like tax collectors, ordinary people in an upper room. And then the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost. And that looks like a rushing wind, which is the curly hurricane Holy Spirit wind in yellow. And then it looked like Holy Spirit coming upon them, like fire upon their heads, which is how Holy Spirit used to come in the Old Testament. He would come upon people, but not dwell inside, like for special anointings. That's what happens next. So Holy Spirit comes like fire, tongues of fire. And then Holy Spirit fills the disciples. (laughs) Like, fills them. It's like the Redibrek glow. Remember that advert? Redibrek glow of people now in Holy Spirit color. Like, from their heads to their toes, they are saturated in Holy Spirit. And what happens? Like, they start to speak in other tongues, in other languages, when the Holy Spirit comes. What the chuff? But then it can't be contained. And this is the birth of the church. So they, they leave the building I love Elvis, for those of you who know, Elvis left the building. Like, these guys left the building, and um, they just spill out. And then this is them talking in other languages. Now, this happened at the time in Pentecost, happened where it was a time of a big festival in Jerusalem. So at this point, there would be people have traveled, all different languages happened to be there on this day, at this point in Jerusalem, like our... Our God is amazing eh, on timings. <laughs> like he's so wise. There's so many times when I've said, right, now's the time, Dad. Darling, just wait. This was the time for the church to be birthed because they stepped outside of the door and they were able to speak in other languages to people. The, the 12 disciples spoke in tongues, but some of those looked like other languages that they were speaking to foreigners in their language that they, they had not been taught and then the people, the crowds, accuse them of drunkenness. And um, <laughs> like, are they drunk? Are you joking? What the heck has happened here? And then Peter speaks boldly. So this is the guy who has denied Jesus. Like, I, I like myself to Jesus. I'm a big gob at times. I open my mouth and, and passionate and all that Peter is. I love Peter. He's just denied Jesus. And um, being scared of a little girl (laughs) and denied Jesus in front of the little girl. And he is now filled with the Holy Spirit. And that meant that he leaves the building. He goes and speaks in tongues, but he speaks boldly, anointed by the Holy Spirit. And And he speaks this prophecy that had been prophesied years ago by Joel the prophet. He speaks this. And guys... What that looked like was 3,000 people (laughs) met Jesus and were filled with the Holy Spirit and were baptized there and then. This is the birth of the church. So what what I wanted to do was show visually 
the increase from 12 people in a building, leaving the building, prophesying. So the power of words spoken out and the anointing of Holy Spirit, which every single person has access now of in this room today, to speak under the anointing and with Holy Spirit, things change instantly. And that exploded from 12 to 3,000. Of course, I had to do 3,000 people. So, so the 3,000 people with the swimming pool at the bottom. Now, these guys haven't got any ladders. They're just waiting. The first guys had the shallow end. And then we flip to the next page. Oh, right here, these guys, right in at the deep end. Here's the ladders for the deep end to be baptized. But... Um, those little fellas, that was not coding, that was manually putting 3,000 people on my page. How are we going to fit that in onto the page? 3,000 people. Several people counted it. Miriam counted it. Abby the Hawkeye counted it. Um, <laughs> Beth, Boo, Rebecca, who's left, counted it. Judith counted it. I counted it. Several times, yep, there's 3,000 people. <laughs> yeah, that, so that was a fun one to do. But I think yeah. that I just wanted to, to show you, and also um, with the power of storytelling around these as well, how this is just going to be incredible, right? As we start to build resources around this so that teachers can help to show their children in school. This is what Pentecost looked like. So that, so that this can be shown in homes, this can be in coffee tables, this can be in so many different places and spaces. This is just, maybe cover your ears just now, Karen. This is just the start of the project. <laughs> it may be designed, but this is the exciting bit now as people get to see this all over the world. So this is being published in the UK and the US and Germany too. With Russia on the way. With what? Russia on the way. Russia's on the way. Like, absolutely powerful, incredible. But Karen, just as you're speaking out there, one of your massive hearts for doing this was that the Spirit of God would come into homes via this book, that that Jesus himself would, would talk to people through this book. And I just want us just to pause there because I know that some of us in this room today feel like the disciples did in that upper room. They feel locked up in fear. Mm. They feel like they can't move right now mm. because of situations and circumstances going on in their lives. I know that. I know that that is true in my life, that at times that we just get locked up in fear and it stops our feet from moving, our hands from doing the jazz hands and our mouths from talking. And so I just want to pause right now and let's just pray together right now. So if that's you, I, I'm just going to, we don't often do this at Carlevine, but I'm just going to invite you to stand up. I'm going to invite you to stand up. If right now you feel like you could do with a bit of feet freeing, hand shuggling, mind freeing, let's stand up together just now. If you feel like you could just do with a bit more freedom in your life, freedom from fear, freedom from oppression, Freedom from insecurity, freedom from doubt, freedom from, yeah, he's come to set us free so that we are free indeed. And Kaz and I are just going to pray over you right now.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome your increase in this space. Yeah, even more. If you've never prayed before, I'm just going to invite you just to close your eyes for the first time. Because uh, for some of us, we've never prayed. We, we don't know what that word even really means. And so what, what's going to happen just now is that God wants to meet each one of us. The great Father in heaven wants to come and touch each one of us right now. It's freely available. You don't have to do anything at all. In fact, it's actually better if you do nothing. But stand before a Father in heaven who loves you dearly. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here just now to increase your power in this place. We're just going to wait on your presence. We're going to wait on your peace that passes all understanding. And we welcome your love, which is perfect. Fear, get out of here. You are not welcome here, fear. Off you go. On your bike, fear. Peace come. Hope come. Love come. Thank you, Jesus. And and there's some of you who um, I just want to declare over your voices. So your voices may have been silenced by events or regrets of things that you've done. I just speak um, awakening to those voices again (laughs) where there is no condemnation with Jesus. So that voice that stops you from speaking and going forward into the fullness of who you are, it's not the voice of our Jesus. <laughs> it is not the voice of our Jesus. And that is lies. So just like Jesus handed over the church to Peter, after Peter had denied him, like he handed over his beloved people, he trusted him. You need to know today that Jesus trusts you. He trusts you. He trusts you. He trusts you. There is no mistake that you have done that cannot be undone. And your voice is powerful to release and to awaken others. So I just speak in increased anointing on voices in this room. There's speakers and leaders. Yeah. And nurturers in the room who will pastor and tend Jesus is sheep. So I bless you. I bless your voice. And I release you into that flipping full identity and calling and role. I thank you, Jesus. Some of us are carrying bags that are way too heavy for us that we were never designed to carry. And the Father is saying you have a choice to lay it all down. Mm. To lay it all down. And just so as an expression, if you're just carrying some stuff that is just too heavy, just lay it down now. Lay it down. It's often in that place of exchange when we lay our stuff down before the Father that he comes and does phenomenal things within us. That's right. So, Father, we just speak that the burden would be light in this space, that there would be no heaviness. And that, Father, you are always with us, no matter what comes our way. Mm. You are with us. You are standing with us. You are walking with us. You are not far away. You are a near Father. Thank you, Jesus. 
You are not further away. You have not abandoned us. Some of you feel abandoned in this room. You have not been abandoned. Mm, that's right. He wants to draw close to your heart, and he's just he's asking for that invitation. He's not a daddy pushes his way in. He's just asking for your invitation. Yes. Yes. Thank Come, you. Lord Jesus. Thank you. Yeah. So we're going to continue that in worship in a few minutes just now. But um, you know what? We could, because there's how many how many graphics is there in the page? Or how many pages are in the book? 240? 224 pages. You can have a set if you want, guys. 224 pages. 224 pages. Not so everyone has a graphic. But. 224 pages in this book, which is incredible. And we could have Karen speak for probably three years continuously <laughs> on no all of these things. No but we just wanted to highlight this, Kaz, mm. and we want to just mark this moment as your church family. Mm. That it is an honor that you're part of our church family, Kaz, that we are so for you, Kaz. Know, yeah. And we are so thrilled. And it's, isn't it an honor that Karen's part of our family? Yeah. 